When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm your inner dream monologue, and you're fast asleep, so I'll be quick. Great job using the Colgate Optic White Overnight Teeth Whitening Pen before bed. When used as directed, it gives you a visibly whiter smile in just seven days. So while I fly and talk to animals, you're removing teeth stains with ease. Sweet dreams. And when you wake up, keep on living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Progressive presents Adjusting to the Suburbs. I never really thought about tools until I bought a house in the suburbs. It's like this weird homeowner test if I need a tool for a project and don't have it. And my neighbor Ted loves to give me that look when I ask to borrow a pole saw. A year ago, I didn't even know pole saws existed. And now I gotta borrow one from Ted? What is happening? Anyway, when you save with Progressive by bundling your home and auto, that's the easy part of adjusting to the suburbs. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company coverage provided in service by affiliates and third party insurers. There we go. Howdy do, everybody. What's up? It is the CBC Wisdom Hour, number 85 for February 18th, 2020. I'm Steve Witchell in New Orleans. I had to think about that. Namaste, Steve Witchell in New Orleans. Tony <laughs> P coming to you live from New Jersey. What's up, brother? Uh, well, I just got to warn you and everybody else that I've been drinking wine for about an hour and a half now. So... That might that might have an effect on things here during this episode, but uh, you know, hey man, it's all in good fun. Uh, righty then. So, uh, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. I'm doing excellent. How you doing? I'm doing good. What were we just talking about before we went live? Because I wanted to just keep talking about that. About how good we've got at troubleshooting and problem-solving technical issues. That was one. That was one thing. And then what else did we say? Uh, perfect time, perfect day, perfect. Yes, the absorption of my weekend where I have a, a fresh perspective on it and a, more of, of an objective perspective on it rather than the, the perspective I had when I was in it because it's very vers- visceral and, you know, current. Yes. So I'm just two days removed from it. 
Um, so, what is going on over there with sound effects? What do you I have all new sound effects I can now new break ones? out. I'll bring it, break, break them out. I want to hear them. What do you got? All right, so I have any amount of different chime notes, like. Okay. Ooh, I like that one. No kidding. Wow. That's a lot of stuff. Yeah. That's just a couple of things I got brewing over here. Wow. That's crazy. Chonk is They're here. all part of the Neil Turk kit. Nice. Chonk is here. He said, yo, gentlemen. I don't know if we're gentlemen, gentlemen, but but yo, back at you. Um, back at you. So, boy, where do I start even? Um... Yeah, just play drums for the whole time. <laughs> I'm in the forest, Steve. It's very peaceful. Play per- percussion the whole time. Wisdom about Keep drinking wine. Yeah, so what's going on, brother? How was your weekend? How was the gigs? How uh, was uh, how's life treating you? Yeah, busy. I mean, it's... I, I say it now every week, but it's just this busy time of year. It's Mardi Gras. Next weekend is the weekend before Mardi Gras. So uh, Mardi Gras... Fat Tuesday, Fat Tuesday is a week from today, so it's you know it's ramped up, it's busy, it's a pain in the ass, <laughs> it's congested. It's just it, it, the pain in the ass part. I've said it before is just the driving in and the parking, and because they block off streets all over the place, and if you're stuck paying, you're paying a lot of money to park. Um, even us, the working people of Bourbon Street, <sighs> we still have to pay. The brethren of Bourbon Street, yeah. I mean, we get no special treatment whatsoever. Um, hey, copper, pull that barricade aside. I got to get on my gig here. Yeah, you would think you could do that, but, uh, but, but then once you're in it, when once you're there, once you're playing, it's cool. It's packed rooms. It's it's uh, it's a very busy, very busy time of year here in the Big East. You know, I, I got to comment just on that statement alone. Like, okay. think about. All the gigs you played, right? And think about when you were younger and you're first starting out. Like I know with the Eye of the Storm, we used to bring Madison Square Garden truckload worth of gear to play like a club, you know, in a multi-band setting. Because it'd be like five bands and we're like number three and we're there with like ten people full on assault with, you know, cage and 35-piece drum set and (laughs) – you know, t- t- two two tiers of keyboards and lights and projection screens. I mean, like, way, way out of control, right? But we, I always remember thinking, like, people would say, dude, you guys are out of your minds. It takes you, like, you know, two hours to load everything into the van to get it all set up. You got to get to the club. This stuff has to be staged. You got to bring it in. All this effort, all these people, they go, you know, all for that. In that time frame, 40 minutes of glory, you know, to be on stage in a full-on production show, you know, like you said, doing it, you know. But everything to get to that point and then to undo that point to get back to where you started, you know. Like from the basement studio of everything being set up to breaking it down, loading up, taking it all there, setting it all up doing the show, breaking it down, bringing it back, setting it up. You know, it was a, it was an event and a half. 
Sure. And we used to sure. do it. We loved doing it. You know, we loved it. Like we wouldn't think like, you know, go out without the sampler and like all sequence stuff and, and not play to a click because it's, you know, a bar gig in the city that we're, you know, not a lot of people are going to like, absolutely not. We got to bring everything. And we would go. And I remember a guy, this, we played this place, the Blackthorn in uh, the Bronx and this real obnoxious guy, his name is Nicky, and he was like, guys can't be bringing this much stuff when you come to play, you know. And, like, meanwhile, we were the last band on for that night, you know. Right. So it didn't matter. We were headlining the show. So it was like, we're going to bring it. It's like, you know, you'll see in, like, ten years from now, you'll be bringing nothing like this. You'll be bringing, like, a three-piece kit and, like, a ukulele. You're going to get tired of carrying stuff around. He's kind of right, though. Yeah, yeah, but back then, think of the enthusiasm. We were like, "F you, man! Like you're just an old dude that doesn't, you know, not committed to the craft. We'll be bringing this stuff until you know, we're 80." Yeah, yeah, I remember having that kind of energy, man, and that kind of motivation and enthusiasm for. It. And to, yeah, to think of doing that now for a 45 minute gig, uh, uh-uh, uh, no way. Like that would no, right, like you know. Yeah, but back then, sure, man. I yeah, and not to mention like driving sometimes hours to get to that, you know, whatever venue it was, in the snow, uphill both oh, yeah. ways. Hundred mountain style. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, dude. Hundred mountain. Man, I had this whole story about playing Hunter Mountain that I wrote, um, in uh, I want to say it was early two thousands. I wrote the story, but it happened in nineteen ninety nine at. Um, I can't really tell the story here. I could tell it, but it's a long story, and I think it translates better in writing. I actually wrote this whole story down, and I've never published it, and I really should. I but, know the story, though. You and I talked about it. Did we? Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, and you remember it, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Um, yeah, and that was like... Actually, you said the same thing. You said that you felt that it would be, you know... You had described me best you could, but it was you need to read it. Yeah, you need to, it's. It, it, I really should publish it. I have the venue to publish it, something like that. And oh, I, yeah, I, dude, absolutely. I think people would. I, I just need to go back and reread it and, and probably edit it a bit. Um, but I mean, that's something that's pretty much already written. That I think is a really intriguing and uplifting and inspiring story in a span of of about five hours what happened so yeah i should do that but yeah uh but that but that gig was like a, a weekend gig so that was like you played i think two nights two or three nights there what, what was that hunter mountain did you do two or three nights there Anytime I played there, it was two. I never did three. Two, yeah, yeah. I think we did two nights, but the pay was really good, so it was worth that drive. And uh, the the venue was killer. Right? Yeah, it was like jam packed, nice stage, oh, great killer. lights, great sound system, everything. Just and they, Tons they of people. Yeah, and they put us up in the in the. Did you ever stay in that the the the, the rooms upstairs? Yeah, but when when you got the one that was got under the roof, right. <laughs> What was the name of that venue? Do you remember? It was it was uh, Village Inn, wasn't it? Hunter Mountain, Hunter Village Inn, or something. I don't remember. I, I probably have it written down somewhere. But this was a uh, this was a place for you listening. It was in upstate. It was in New York State, 
um, and it was a ski resort. So it was kind of in the mountains, and um, people would go there for their, you know, for their ski trip weekend, and then go out at night and go to these clubs, and there weren't a lot to choose from, so they would get, and th- this, the, the clubs were booked by one of the biggest booking agents, which was Stars, Steve Tarkanish, um, at the time, when I did it, anyway, and, uh, you know, so it was, it was the best of the best bands that were co- going up there and playing, and you got it, you know, paid really well and stuff, so, uh, but, yeah, dude, I mean, that story, I drove there in a snowstorm, you know, it was blizzard snowstorm, but that's just a part of the story. Well, it says now that the club that over there is one called Slopes. Slopes. That's where we played. That yeah. was that was the club we played. Slopes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Stage. There you go. Tannersville, New York. Tannersville. Yeah, dude. Oh, man, I really, I, I'm actually excited about it now. I want to go back and reread that story that I wrote and edit it and publish it and see if uh, anybody digs it. I think yeah, are. no doubt you should do that soon. Well, that's one of the earliest pieces of writing writing I did, and that now we're talking about yeah about twenty years ago I wrote it, and um, probably one of the longest pieces of writing I ever did too, but I never published it. But yeah, now it's time I think. I love the wisdom hour, man. I would have never thought of that if we weren't talking. See that now you get now you get, it's another thing to, on your to do list. Yeah, that's a, right to the top. You just bypassed a whole bunch of stuff. Like, yeah, that's an easy and fun one to do. Um, but easy so, and fun. But so, you know why, Steve? Because we make buying fun <laughs> and easy. <laughs> nice commercial. Yes. Um, um, but yeah, so it's back to now the the weekend. Uh, it was busy. You know, it was good. It was fun. The band was. You know, the band was killer, man. I, I really like playing. There, there's really something, man, to, to that, you know, and it's, I guess it's obvious, but there's something to that of playing with the same band four nights in a row for long stretches. You really get good. You know, you really get good. Oh, yeah, it good, becomes man. like a machine, man. You j- just do. And, like, I'm I'm just locking in so much better every night with our drummer, and and I'm really focusing on it, too. Um and like Chunk had mentioned when he came to see us that he he's a busier player, and he is, but he's also fucking rock solid, man. So I know, like he he's Nothing wrong with busy. I'm a fan. Yeah, he yeah you know, he he's got chops, so he shows them off. But but he's not doing it. T- it's it's not too much to me in the in the big picture. When I've listened back to the whole band, it sounds killer. And he's a great musician, so. I've really, really enjoyed that. Um, just, just playing with him every night, locking in with him, and um, it, it makes me feel like I need to just always, constantly step up my game. So, and that I like that energy on stage of of that of playing like that. You know, playing where I'm really trying to be at my best all the time. So, so that's th- that's the thing that's been kind of underlying primarily for me. For, for uh, at least this last week, but definitely the last few weeks. That's killer, though, man. You know, to have that excitement, enthusiasm, have your other bandmates pushing you, you know, to be better or want to be better. You yeah, know, but he, that, I, I mean, and they don't, 
push me in any sort of verbal way. It's just no, inspirationally, just you know, because yeah. you want to do it, you know. Yeah, it's just by their presence. Listen, man, that's the only way that you can truly be passionate and, and get something done that you you really got to care about. You know, not go through the motions. It's like you, you know, no one can make anybody do anything, right? Except yourself. So when you're vested in it and you truly believe in it and you're passionate about it and you want to do it, you will do it. You know, that's just what it comes down to. And that, that's basically, you know, with anything in life, you know, with any motivational or positive type of reinforcement behind something, it's like, you know, it, it, it's like Nike commercial, right? Just do it, right? Well, you will find that, you know, it was funny. I read that article about Neil Pert. And I don't know if I said this on the last Wisdom Hour, but he said he subscribed to a belief called tryism. And you believe that if you tried something, you know, and you applied, you know, all your effort and energy and, and to the best of your abilities, you know, continuously practice and tried at something that you – anything is achievable, you know. But you have to try to do it, and you have to do it. And you can be in there actually trying and, you know, motivating yourself to do it. Yeah. Take action. You have to take action. You can't get anything accomplished by thinking about it or talking about it. You have no, to. No, but you got to want to do it. You know, yeah. No one wants to work out, but the people that do want to work out and are passionate and love doing it, you know, like my older son does it, and, you know, he's in great shape. It becomes part of your life. You, he enjoys doing it. Right. Not like, oh, I got to go to the gym, man, you know? Right. Like it's a drag. It's like you look forward to going, you know, and, and it pays off. Just like when you were a kid and you'd say, oh, you know, I got to go home and practice my instrument, you know? We'd be home playing drums every day, you know, because we just loved playing, you know, to everything. Our drum lessons, whatever our teacher was teaching us in school, whatever our private lesson stuff was, you know, we crank through that and then get to playing with the band or playing alone the records, you know, and just, uh, you know, you got to be passionate about it. And if you play with yeah. people in the band that are, are, you know, you always want to play with guys that are better than you, you know, yes. or inspire you to be better. Yes, I've always said that, and I've always been lucky enough to do that, too. You know, to play with really talented people. Right, and if you happen to be the best guy in the band, then it's your duty to then bring everyone else up to your level. Agreed. You know? Agreed. Yeah, and I've I've been in that situation too, and I've I've attempted to do that as much as I can. Um, if people. But again, to. they have to want to do it. They have to want to. You you can't force anybody to do anything. But um. Yeah, that the I and I I'm very hard on myself. I'm my hardest, you know, toughest critic, uh, but. Um, it, Tracy took some Facebook lives from the weekend and I went back and watched them and I was listening and well, well first I saw a comment from a friend of mine uh, Dana who's a drummer lives out in uh, Coeur d'Alene Idaho um, and he was like that's some funkalicious bass playing and I'm like really like because I'm not a funk player you know I'm like I'm like, okay, let me listen to this and try to listen to it objectively and see how it sounds. And it was, we do this, um, we do a funky, play that funky music, but we do like this big medley in the middle of a bunch of different songs and everybody gets a little solo too. It starts with the guitar and then keyboards and drums and then bass and then it goes into this medley of stuff. So that's what she did Facebook Live. So I'm like, all right, let me watch this. You know, because I always kind of, every time we go into it, I'm like, ugh. Like I don't want to play this, and like, I like I don't think I'm that great at it, and whatever. So I went back and listened. I'm like, all right, I can play. You know that sounds good. And my little solo thing that I just made up, whatever on the spot. It's it's so weird how differently I hear it when I'm playing it versus when I'm listening back. 
it's such a different and it, it's like i understand how it f- what i did fits in the mix of everything else that's going on better when i'm listening back than i do when i'm doing it but obviously i i'm cognizant of that when i'm doing it too but it's just it's it's a weird do you ever find that dude when like when you listen back to your own stuff like huh okay i did that all right that fit really well like well that was tasty like you you hear back i don't know oh yeah we used to listen back and critique you know tons of rehearsals and shows and you know rehearsals especially because you go through and pick out the diamonds you know that was the one you'd be like wow listen to what i just played listen to what you just did you know listen to what you listen to that riff bring that back again you know so for sure like that and then yeah plenty of times i, I can remember having you know great gigs and we videotaped them and i remember feeling really good about the gig and being like yeah it was a great gig and you know maybe i did a great solo that night or i felt like i did a good solo and then you watch it back and sometimes it's, it's the opposite you're like oh, it's, <laughs> it, it seemed like it was a lot better at the time than it really is right now you know but then to your point too you might watch it back and be like wow that was really a lot better than you know than i i expected or like you said you surprise yourself that when you play things that you know that impress yourself yeah and that's growth you know that's that's growth you're growing as a musician you know and if you're not startling yourself every once in a while then you're not trying hard enough yeah it's just like a little four bar solo passage that i did that i was like all right that was that was cool you know the the, the, the notes that i chose and like if i was to just watch that and try to figure out what i did i'd be like what wait what what it <laughs> like Dude, you know what's funny? You say that. I remember, like, in, oh, man, I was probably 12 years old. I was taking drum lessons with Sonny Igo, and we, you know, I had all these charts to learn and playing along with tunes, and he he put up this chart, and he used to videotape all of the uh, lessons, you know? And uh, I remember playing this tune, and, this, and the break was coming up, and, like, I, I, you know, shame on me, like, I didn't shed it enough, but I knew it enough where I could play it fake my way through the chart but when the break came i remember like just wailing on the snare and playing like a whole bunch of 30 second notes just like single strokes like like as fast as i could in time and then feeling where i thought it was going to end and you know being like batum, and then crashing back in again where i hoped it would be and i remember it all working out you know what i mean right like the fill and it was like all like on the spot like you said like just you know, impromptu and, and uh, just, uh, you know, completely unrehearsed and, and just hanging on to, by the, you know, the thread of hope that it was going to work out, not even knowing where you were, but feeling it and then it all working out. And th- I, that I can honestly say was the first time when I watched that video back at like 12 years old and impressing myself, you know, and right. being like, wow, that was really slamming and killer. Right. Now, I you know, it was by part by luck. But then Sonny would say, but it's not by luck, it's by talent because you listen and you feel and you hear and you know, you anticipate where that downbeat is, even though you're not counting. Because remember, when you're that young, you're starting to learn how to play drums or any instrument for that matter. You, They want you to count everything. You know, you have to count to understand how time works and how different time signatures are and where the downbeat is and how things fall and, you know, how it feels. So half the battle with learning any instrument like you know is just having that natural ability or rhythm to be able to yeah understand how it works you know yeah because like i've never really counted 
Like I like I know how to count and I know how to identify time signatures. But I've like never from the beginning. I never had to be like okay. This is one, two, like, I, it just, it, there's this natural, it's like a rhythm, you know, in my body that just is there and has always been there. And it's, it's, it's such a fascinating thing to me because I still kind of recognize it every once in a while. Like, like, like I'll play a song even now, like even now with the band that I'm playing with some songs, I'll think like. Okay, like it, maybe it's an extended measure or something, or uh, or whatever. And I, but I know where it's going to change. I like I don't have to count to six or seven. You know, I don't have to count to four. Even you know, I just I feel four. I feel six. I you know, like it's isn't that a weird thing, man? Like in the life, just yeah. But either you have it or you don't. Yeah, you know? and and that's the thing too. Like. As what a, what makes, a gift, you know, though, huh, dude? What a gift that was for us to just, just naturally oh, it's, feel it's, it, feel yeah. how rhythm works. Like, wow, that's wild, man. I'm sorry. Good. <laughs> well, you know, we take it for granted, you know, because we we do have it and understand it, you know. But I was going to say is like it's refreshing, and you know, I, like last week all the drummer jokes of the week before right like you know everyone loves to bash on drummers how you know they're not musicians and they don't you know know how to play notes and it's not a real instrument and all this other stuff but now you see you know you've always known too but now you appreciate i would say rather you know playing with with brent right that you know he sounds like he's a really good player he's musical he's got chops like he's tasty but he's a slamming drummer you know and that Dude, you know, I don't care what anybody says. You know it as well as I do. That makes or breaks the band. No know? doubt about it. No doubt about it. He's driving. I want the drummer to be the driver. It's a eighteen wheeler, and you're behind it. You know, I, yeah, you have to be. You, like you have to be, and he is, man. He just gets it, and and he's like, his his tempos are always perfect. He never wavers. I mean, he's just rock rock solid, dude. You know, definitely one of my favorite drummers that I've played with down here. Um, he's in the top three, for sure. Yeah, and now you get to play with him night after night after night after night, you know? And then, like you said, if you're paying attention and you're really listening and trying, you know, that's going to become awesome in, in a month or two. Oh, it's yeah, it's making me a better bass player, no doubt about it. You know, it's making me really focus on, like, like just the crap. Well, and plus you're start you're getting to know him and the style, and you yes. anticipate what he's going to do, and you know the same licks that he'll put in the same spot, you know, for certain tunes. You know, you pick up on like you were saying, you know, you just start to get more polished. Yeah, and I, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, but the, the anticipating the things he's going to do, I still recognize, I see it happening where I just feel what he's going to do, and I'm right, ninety. Five percent of the time, I'm right exactly what he's gonna, and it's there's no thinking involved. It's the the magic of of energy of the universe of music of all that. There's no, I don't have to think about it. It just happens. It comes through me, and it's it's, and I but I feel it. You know, like wow, that like that feeling every time playing night after night is, it, there's no, it's it's hard to even describe how. I I had that feeling with you many times, especially when we used to play that, that place, the Loft in Connecticut. Yeah, that like oh, little yeah, elevated yeah. stage, and it was always packed, and it was a great place to play. And you know? because I drove an hour and a half to get there, and by the time I was there, I was relieved to just be able to just 
I can just relax and play now. <laughs> so see, it's the same thing as like when you were a kid loading in all that gear for that 40-minute set. You know, you drive that hour and a half to go play, you know, for three hours. But it was worth it. Well worth it. Yeah. I, I feel that way a lot, man. Like even now, it's like I got to do all this work. But by the time when I get up on stage, it's like, ah, oh, now I can relax. <laughs> like I, can just, I don't have to think about anything when I'm on stage. That's yeah, just all the effort to get there, man. You know? So imagine, dude, imagine like, you know, being these super duper rock stars where you just go and people just escort you like from the limo to the restaurant, to whatever private room to eat. Then they escort you over here to sign up some stuff. And then you go over here, take some pictures and then you go chill for a little bit here. Maybe then you do whatever. And then you go escort you to the stage, you know, then you just walk out, play. Everything's done for you. Tuned, ready to go. Switch it out. Yes, sir. Mr. So-and-so. Thank you. Get your stuff back. You're done. They escort you right back private, you know, wherever you're going, right back in the limo and then zoom, you're out, you're out. Yeah, one can dream. Yeah, that's um, the way to go, dude. Yeah, I mean that, that would that way. would be. I remember Carl Fisher who played. You know, oh, the, uh, not to interrupt you, but go ahead. I'll I'll, I'll tell my story in a minute. Go ahead. I was just gonna say that would, that would be cool, but I mean, I don't need people waiting on me hand and foot. I like doing my own stuff to a degree. No, but hand and foot, but you walk out and a guy hands you your bass. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Go. And, and then like tuning. four songs later, it's in a different drop detuning and he hands you another. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people like, you know, washing your feet and stuff. I'm talking about like, just, you know, yeah. <laughs> washing your feet. Can you, can I get somebody to clip my toenails? <laughs> <laughs> I hate but clipping so, my toenails. I want somebody to do it for me. So I'm going Thursday. Me and Cole, we're going to see Billy Joel. It was his Christmas gift, right? Me and him are going. Oh, you're and this Thursday you're going? This Thursday, yeah. At, and, at uh, Madison Square Garden? Yeah, MSG. And I got okay. great seats, dude. Like, right, like, stage level, you know, stage side. Like, the premium best seat you could do, see to see Billy, you know? I just lucked out when I went to Ticketmaster. It was two available right here, like, second row, mezzanine, right, you know, on the side of the stage. Boom, yeah. got him. Like, meant to be. Same thing. Universe hooked me up. Beautiful. So we're going. But my story back to track to that was, so Carl Fisher, who's plays uh, trumpet in Billy Joel's band, I played in the band with him, uh, with this guy Joe Bazone, and uh, he was telling me a story of how they would play, and then when they would play the last tune, if they were doing an encore and it was just Billy, or you know, or they didn't have any horn section, depending what song he was doing, Billy would just tell the band to go, or the guys that weren't needed, they could go. So he would just, Carl was like, same thing. He said he would put his, his horn in the case to grab it with him, go down these stairs, walk out the back door, and there was a limo waiting for each guy had their own car. And you got right in the car, and then boom, it took you right to the secret back door out of MSG, boom, out into traffic, and boom, you're gone. Right. Take you home. Yeah, there you go. That's cool. And he said that that was the most killer aspect of of. You know, playing with Billy at the Garden, because like, he played with him. You know, through all the other times too. You know, he toured all over the world with him. But right. he said that gig in particular is it's it's you know it's nice because he said the car pulls up. You know, pulls under the garden to the secret entrance. You know, the, like we were just talking about, the doors right. open. You get out. You go down this corridor, and you're like, you know, you're there. You're you're in the underneath of the garden. You come up, and you're you know you're on the stage. Right there, you go. That's cool. That's being a rock star right there. Um, yeah, now that Billy's at the residency, you know, I mean, last time I talked to Carl, he was living in Florida, and so he would fly up, you know, to for the gig, play the gig, and then go back down. 
So I think Billy's playing, you know, almost 80 shows now. Wow. Yeah, I think September's his 80th show, or or he's at or he's at 79 now, and it's August. So you know, another one's coming. It's going to be the 80th show. Yeah. You know, in the fall. What, wasn't he doing them every month for a while? Yeah, it's like every six weeks, dude. Yeah. Okay. So uh, that's one of my goals. I wrote down this like list of like 50 some odd things that I want. I still want to do in my life, and one of them is to see Billy Joel at Madison Square Garden. So uh, perhaps the next time I visit, he'll be playing, and I'll go. Yeah, Cole's been so inspired by him and, you know, really learned how to play piano by, you know, copying his stuff to where he said, I really hope I get to see him before, you know, before it's too late or before, you know, uh, I never get to see him, you know, or he passes away or something, you know, he just stops playing, you know, or he can't play anymore. Right. So it's going to be cool. I was very excited. My favorite, I love Billy Joel. I, I've been a fan of Billy Joel since I was a kid. I used to have a... Fifty uh, Second Street and Glass Houses on vinyl, and I would listen to both of those constantly. And Fifty Second Street was my life. You may be right. Oh, no, no, you may be right. Was on Glass Houses. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, but it's still rock and roll to me. Um, Layla. You know, um, what? What else? Uh, I I mean, ton of great songs. Um, I just heard one the other. Uh, uh, Big uh, shot. Big Shot was another one, yeah. Um, but my favorite Billy Joel song of all time is Vienna. Um, and Yeah, he's been doing that as an encore, believe it or not. He lets the audience pick. It's either Vienna or um, something else, I forget. Vienna is just one of the most perfect songs ever to me. And just, uh, yeah, killer lyrics, killer so, message. Yeah, yeah, and see Cole play that at his coffee house thing at school. And the, this girl he took to prom sang it. She did a great job. Really? Okay. Yep. Yeah, I have it on video. I can send it to you. Yeah, I'd love to see that. I love that song, man. Just absolutely fucking brilliant. Um, but that, I'm excited, too, because that's one I've never seen Billy. I've seen, you know, so many bands like you have, but I've never seen Billy. Well, now you will. Indeed. I saw him here at Jazz Fest uh, four or five years ago. Um, my brother and a bunch of friends, and uh, great. I mean, killer. Just you, you every song he plays is perfect. You know, is a, is a hit. Yeah, it's one. Hit. It's a song you know. Yeah. Exactly. And he'll do he'll do covers sometimes too. And then he'll bring out, especially Madison Square Garden. He'll bring out guests a lot. Yeah, he brings out someone every show. Yeah. So you never know who it's going to be. You never know what the set. I I actually went and online and looked at all like his set lists. Uh, of all of his uh, MSG shows to see what how he was mixing it up and he mixes it up he really does there's some that you know staples that he puts in there but yeah but like you're right he did Summer Highland Falls uh, a couple shows ago that's something he rarely breaks out I would like to write the perfect Billy Joel set list for him to play and I'll, I'll send it to him and then when I come and he can play that can you do it soon because I'm going Thursday <laughs> <laughs> okay. Can you do it like tomorrow? I'll do it tonight. Can you do that above the list of publishing your Hunter Mountain story and do that first. <laughs> I'll do it tonight. All right. Deal. Yeah. How did we get into that? Because it was like, we're talking about. Dude, that's the beauty of the Wisdom Hour, man. It's like a roller coaster. You know, it takes you on all sorts of tangents and extremes and rabbit holes. And it's all, you know, it's all good stuff, man. You'd be all. You're, 
everyone listening is that much more the wiser for being here. Indeed. Um, yeah, I want to get to that point anyway, though, to, to be uh, <laughs> to be to be treated, you know, like because <laughs> would take everywhere. I, I like the idea of the, the somebody ha- handed me the base and. You know, handing me the other base and that stuff. I never really Steve had that. Is your base and your beers in the cup holder. It's cold. <laughs> <laughs> I never really enjoyed that in my life. I, I I've been on big stages and in big in big productions and with big crews too, but but not really an experience. I remember movie playing movie. Atlantic City with Joe Bazone and Carl Fisher and, and uh, Stephen Bard. It was a great all star band. This guy Rob Cash on bass and. I remember him going all out. It was this big venue. It was at um, the Revel, okay? And it was this giant room. It had tables. I think I sent you the pictures. I was like, dude, check this place out. And it was this gigantic stage. Like when I pulled in underneath the casino, the guy was like, the loading dock's over there. Like just wheel your stuff up and then call for the elevator and here's the code. And I was like, all right, cool, thanks. And dude, the elevator opened and it was this diamond plate. You know what diamond plate is, right? You know, it's that stainless like real shiny metal right sure diamond plate floor diamond plate walls dude it was like the inside of a tractor trailer it was like 20 feet wide 50 feet deep it was this gigantic thing where i put do i put all i emptied out my entire truck i put my whole drum everything i brought with me and it was like a, like a speck of dust in the corner and it was like took me up to like whatever floor it was opened up and then same thing doors opened and you were like on the like backstage like ex- like stage left in the back and you came up behind the wings there was this big divider and we came out in the front there was a riser on top of the stage and it was this gigantic stage it had a big this big light truss and you know a guy with lights there was like 15 guys there working on stuff and i can truly say that i set the whole kit up these guys came up they mic'd everything they were super cool hung out talking with them did sound check the kit sounded Dude, the drums sounded ridiculous. The guy, I have my own monitor guy. He's like, I'm Pete. I'm your monitor guy. Like, you let me know what you need. More of this, less of that. Like, I'm watching you. You just here's the signs, like hand signals. You let me know what you want. And the sound guy from out front, you know, front of house, came up and said, "Dude, I'm a drummer too, and you have to go out front and listen. First of all, I want to play your drums through the PA, but second of all, you have to go out and listen to your drums through the PA." He's like, "It's, it's it sounds ridiculous." And I went out front, and it was it was ridiculous. It was like being in like a a real venue. You know what I mean? It the sound was just enormous, and it was a big room, but it wasn't a stadium room. You know what I mean? It had tables, and it was like a ballroom. But it was a big, big room, and it was like, you know, the stage was like, say, you know, eight or ten steps down to where the floor was. Right. So people were like at, you know, chest level to the stage. Right. Got it. Got but, yeah, something. very cool. Um, but no one came up and said, here's your drumsticks, and, you know, here's a cup of coffee for you. Thanks. Yeah. I, I mean, I've had, you know, I've never had that, I mean, but I've had... Definitely been in in situations where I was really treated very well, um, like by Joe, owner, whatever you need, Steve. <laughs> um, so that was red carpet treatment. So I, uh, I like to t- to to keep things current here and like publicly talking about things that are going on in my band situation and. Sometimes I can't 
really talk about everything. And this is one of those times. Um, but there's stuff going on. And it, it's, it makes things interesting, sometimes a little challenging and frustrating, but there's stuff going on. But anyway, in time, I'll, I will recap what had, had happened after. You will but divulge. As, it, as it's happening, I don't feel that I, I can talk about it. But one of the things that's going on reminded me of a movie that you may be familiar with called Spinal Tap. Have you yes. heard? Of, have you heard of this movie? <laughs> Do you know? Me, merely a two-word review. <laughs> Spinal Tap for me. I saw this movie the first time I saw it was in the mid to early early '80s. It, it was after it was re- released theatrically, and it was on video and it, I think it was on video fairly quickly after it was in the theaters and I saw it and I just didn't understand it at all I was like wait what is these guys are a real band or like and it's it, what is happening this thing what's going on over there dude I don't know this thing happening and and so like I watched it I watched the whole thing and I was like you know like because it seemed like okay they're a real band but I didn't really get all the jokes and then as years went on I remember hearing people talk about that movie and saying that the further you get into your musical career, the more that you're going to appreciate this movie and the more things that are going to be happening in your real life are going to be related to things that, that happened that actually happened in this movie. And I have now been playing for 35 plus years and I can honestly say that that is true. (laughs) That, Spinal Tap stuff happens in your life, man, if you're playing music for a living. So I I went out on Facebook just a little while ago, just before we started this, and asked the question, name your biggest, what what is your biggest Spinal Tap moment? And, uh, and what were some of the highlights, I, um I'm not seeing a lot, well, and one of the biggest ones that happened to me is, you know, trying to find your way around the venue. Like, you're like, no, this is the wrong door. Are you going up a staircase? Oh, no, that's the kitchen. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so a lot of people answered things like that, and a lot of people didn't didn't really understand the question too. Um, uh, let me see if there's anything. Oh well, S- Chad Sullivan said personally, personally, I had a wireless picking up random stuff instead of my guitar. And that happened to uh, Nigel in the movie Spinal Tap, where he's trying to play guitar, he's using a wireless, and it was just what you're hearing out of the amp. Nonsense. Yeah, yeah. So do you have one that you, you've you had in your it life? It wasn't in Spinal Tap, but I can tell you the craziest thing I think that I could relate to anything was I played a gig, a wedding gig, and we got there early, and I parked in parking lot a we'll call it okay along with everybody else and then we was you know then we went to load in the guys we get to wait to load in and you go back and we loaded in and i had to go back and put all my cases and stuff in the car so long story short we were all parked in this parking lot i went back drove around to the other side of the venue loaded up my stuff drove back to the parking lot now there's a guy in a booth and he's like this is valet lot only 
And I'm like, yeah, but dude, I was just parked here with all the other cars that are parked in there. I'm, I'm in the band. He's like, yeah, no, there's a valley lot only. You have to park in like lot D, which is like 250 yards away. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's not happening, buddy. <laughs> and I remember driving over the cone into the thing and getting out, and then the guy giving me a hard time being like, talk to the major D inside. Like, I don't have time for you right now. And the guy was very, very adamant that I could not park there because it was a valet lot only. Even though I had been parked there earlier and talked to the guy, but now that it was valet time, there was no more parking in that lot. It's brutal. Yeah, craziness, dude. Just absolute insanity. Yeah, the parking thing, That's that could be a whole conversation. Yeah. Uh... Well, you never want to see the problem with being a drummer and getting there first is you're always there early, right? So I remember playing a gig one time too. You pull in, back down the driveway. The guy's like, "Yeah, just pull over here, and you can load right in down the stairs." It was like a pretty far loading. It was like a multi-tiered backyard with a giant pool and the cabana area, and that's of course where the band was setting up, you know, down below. Right. And I remember backing my truck in and then loading up and like. Two trips in, I come back up, and there's, like, two catering trucks, a pizza truck, you know, a, a, a tent rental pl- truck now. Like, I'm boxed in. Like, I'm not going anywhere, dude. Ugh. Which is fine, but, you know, come the end of the night, all those guys are still camped out there, you right. know. But nonetheless. Um, Stories from the road. Yeah, so I, um, in addition to that, well, that question I just asked a little while ago, so I haven't gotten a lot of responses Well, we yet. circle back to that next week when you have more. Yeah, but a few days ago, actually, February 12th, which was uh, last Wednesday, so we got a lot of answers here. I asked, and I think this was inspired by something you said last week, because we kind of did read things like this, but I, I asked, what is one major embarrassing thing you've had happen at a gig? And I think I gave, I already talked about what my most one embarrassing thing was, but I will just recap quickly. It was in New Orleans. I was at Famous Door. I wasn't, it wasn't my gig. I just had gotten up to, to sit in. It was later in the night, and... I had been drinking a little bit and uh, we were playing the song Jump by Van Halen and there was, I was standing on where, just the edge where there's sort of a lip on the stage and when we were in the chorus and it said jump, I jumped and landed (laughs) on the corner of that lip and fell right on my ass and the bass was and and then, you know, I was on my ass for a, a, a minute. You know, I, I the my first thing when I fell was I have to get back to playing the song. So I that was the first thing I did. I was still on my ass. But I, you know, I got back into, you know, playing the song. Right. And then slowly stood up while I was still playing. My my priority was to not stop playing the song. <laughs> but yes, it should be extremely embarrassing. Um, so some people's answers have been similar to that, to falling 
falling is it's the worst like if it happens to you but if you're witnessing it it's the funniest thing <laughs> no doubt dude i can remember witnessing as a band singer running across the stage you know to go like slide up to the mic and like I don't know what happened, but the stage was slippery. But come sliding to the mic and was like, shoom, like legs out, like feet up in the air, baboom, down, you know, crashing down, mic, everything. <laughs> so, do you have one? If you haven't told it already, do you have a, a most embarrassing thing that happened to you at a gig? I actually don't, dude. I really have been pretty lucky with not having any embarrassing things happen at gigs. I've had misfortunes like, the downbeat of one of the opening song of the set put the bass drum beater through the head. Right. You know, I've had that happen, which is a drag, because now, you know, you thankfully had double bass kit, but now you're playing everything with left foot, you know, bass, and it just becomes annoying, you know? Um, I can remember as a kid setting up for state honors band and not being smart enough to bring a drum rug and setting up my father's gold slingerland set actually leady drum set gold sparkle leady set sounded killer at state honors band and playing the whole time and the bass drum sliding away you know you know, like sliding across the stage the whole time me constantly having to grab it pull it back grab it pull it back then the following year i remember going to state band again no smarter still still dope <laughs> no rug I took a shoelace out of my shoe. I got slick, and I tied the bass drum pedal to the stool and kept it from sliding out. There you go. But yeah. imagine that, dude. Like being, you know, same thing. This is like grammar school, right? So you're like state honors man, like sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade. I think I did it. So you know, I don't even know how old you are. You're like ten. So I remember roll like you know you get prepared for the gig. Like make sure you got sticks. Make sure you got all your drums. Make sure you got all your stuff. Then you get there and be like, ah. Oh, no rug. No rug. Like, oh my God! What am I gonna do now? So Are you, you gotta, kidding me? You got to get old MacGyver on it. And <laughs> yeah, I got big time MacGyver on it. My left foot, hi hat foot, took my shoelace out of my shoe, tied the bass drum pedal to the seat. Pretty that's, slick. That's something that like non drummers never think about. Like the fact that, like when you're hitting the kick drum, it's gonna slide forward unless you have a way to keep like stop it from sliding forward. Yeah, dude, we used to do clinics. I used to we used to screw. I used to have holes in in the camco pedal, but right at the at the uh, the mount where it went on the bass drum. We used to put drywall screws, inch and a quarter drywall screws, drive them in right into the ground. <laughs> That's to keep like shit the from sound effect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. I remember being like, dude, talk, go distract that guy. People giving us the eye, like, what are you doing? Like, That's you know, you'd be on the stage at, like, you know, Morris County College or we're down, like, you know, right. uh, Atlantic City Convention Center and we're on this wood stage. And I'm like, we're screwing in screws into the <laughs> finished hardwood stage. The guy's like, what are you doing up there? Just tighten something up, dude. Relax. All right, cool. It's all good. It's <laughs> great. Check. One, two. Check. That's funny as hell, man. You know what? Yeah. A, a little throwback but, to the. But hang on. Right, hang on. Though, to finish the story, though, the the most embarrassing thing I think I ever read about was Alex Van Halen said that he got up at the end of a concert. He used to stand up, you know, on the snare drum and on the drum stool, yeah. and like put his fist in the air, you know. Yeah. And he he went to do a David Lee Roth jump off the over the drums, like he was going to jump over the drums onto the riser. Oh, no. And as he jumped, he said his shoelaces got caught on the tom and. <laughs> 
he fell down and dragged the drum set off the riser with him. <laughs> That's funny. And broke his arm, I think, in the process of the whole uh, thing and had to like, miss a bunch of tour dates. I wonder if that's on video anywhere. I'm sure you can be found. Oh, he also said he used to light the toms, you know, floor toms on fire. He used to put like, lighter fluid in them and he used to light them on fire when he used to do them on fire. Right. And he would like, you know, jam on it and this would splatter and stuff like that. And he said that he remembers lighting like the whole, the guy got a little too ambitious with the lighter fluid and it was like splashing all over the place and lit the riser on fire and the drums on fire and burned through the heads. And it was like a whole debacle. Oh boy. That's rough. Um... So stuff like that, I guess, you know. But I never really, you know, thankfully, we never had any embarrassing moment on stage. Although on video, I'm sure there's, uh, I did have one or two times where I can remember, like, I, I remember clearly we played Wild Mike's. Remember that place? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to play there every, it was Lodi. I played there every Wednesday. Yes. That's when I played with, with Tishy. We right, played, uh, exactly, yeah. with Lumen Jew. So yeah. we were playing there, and I remember it was a packed house, and we had a great time with video. We were doing, like, a two-camera shoot. And uh, came off stage, and there was tons of people there. And everyone was like, here, dude, like, have a drink. Do a shot. Do a shot. Dude, have a drink. Do a shot. Can I buy a shot? Dude, we're doing shots. Do a shot. You want to do a shot? I remember doing like 10 shots, dude. They're going back on stage. And maybe like 35 minutes later, being completely annihilated, barely able to play. And the keyboard player had some kind of problem with his input, and his keyboard went dead. And he's like, dude, like drum solo now. And I had to play drum solo. And I remember like, <laughs> do like this wailing – like fill down and like come crashing out of the fill, both my sticks like go fly, like did you dropping sticks all over the place, dude? And I remember being all pissed and I had a headset mic on and I'm like, dude, this is fucking bullshit. Yeah, talking like an idiot and then breaking into a wailingly fast double bass solo that I didn't have to do a lot of stuff, you know. It was just because I could play with my feet, but I couldn't hold sticks in my hands for some reason. I kept dropping the sticks because I was <laughs> annihilated drunk. <laughs> that was probably my most embarrassing moment, and it's on film. But it was not really embarrassing because it was kind of funny because it ended well, you know what I mean? I got uh, had a good, I got a good solo out of it. It just got a little rough going into it, a little rough start, but it ended well. Wow, yeah. Things of that nature, you know? Uh, all right, so I'm going to read a couple of... You're just a top five. I'm a, well, I don't have a top five because I, 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 this is really the first time I'm reading these comments, so I'm going to kind of scroll through and read some that, that catch my eye. But Bob Stanton said, forgot my seat to my drum throne, and they only had a small chair. So I put my bass player's toddler car seat on the chair... Yeah. And played the gig like that. Yes. What's that guy's name? Bob Stanton. Yeah, Bob Stanton. You go, Bob. It's a good guy remove right there. Um, Chad Lawrence Ham said, My fly was down for half a set. Thought everyone was just admiring my belt buckle. But, but they were looking at his open fly. Uh, anyway. <laughs> God. John Dale said, playing any way you want it by journey, and with each chord change, I stepped sideways and ran out of stage, fell to the ground, and slammed into our, into our huge JBLPA stacks, and my bass clanged and boomed like I never heard before. It scared the heck out of me. Ouch. 
let's see. <laughs> Tommy Virgil spilled his tequila shot on stage, and that was embarrassing to him, apparently. That's not good, Tommy Virgil. Yeah, get, it's get al- together. It's alcohol abuse, man. Uh, some of these are long. So I have to read. Okay. Okay, that's not good. Jeff Coma said, "I'm not saying." <laughs> he doesn't want to admit what it he was. Doesn't want to tell anybody. Um, it's really embarrassing. Yes. Ryan Clute, who is somebody I actually know. No, maybe that's a different Ryan Clute. Okay, but he said he said he fell off a catwalk during a solo in front of thousands of people. Which is happened, man. Falling down again. Falling down is like the worst thing that can happen to you if it happens to you. But Dude, it's the funniest thing that you can see if 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 it doesn't happen to you. I've had an embarrassing moment when someone in the band thinks the song is over and stops playing when the song really keeps going. Yeah, that still happens to us. You know, that's one. Or playing a different song or singing the wrong words to a song repeatedly. (sighs) You know what? Thankfully, like I sing a fairly good amount of time, and I, I have since I've been in New Orleans. And thankfully, that has not happened to me I, it might have happened to me once or twice where I screwed up lyrics, but I always recover. But th- very thankfully, I'm so grateful for that, that I have this recall with lyrics that I just remember the words, man. Like I, I, I have a, a kind of a, a rudimentary system that I use to, to know the order of, like verses or things like that. But there's certain songs that I've heard so many times that it's like, I don't have to think about it. I know what the words are. (laughs) Yeah, no doubt. Um, So that's never been like an embarrassing thing for me, forgetting words. But Bert Summersell said he started Sweet Child of Mine in the wrong key. And when the band came in, it obviously sounded horrible. And we had to stop. That is the worst thing you oh. can do on stage, man. Don't ever stop the song. Stop. Just do. Just go. Jump yeah. the key real quick. You know. Make corrections. Keep moving. You can't. That is yes. the kiss of death, of course. man. For all you kids out there, that is the kiss of death. Do not stop playing. Yeah. Do not. Uh. All right. So okay. Somebody just left a comment here, but it's not worth repeating. Uh, um, Mick said that Neil, Neil Diamond fell off of, or no, he started in the wrong key on the Johnny Carson show. There's probably video of that somewhere. It happens to the best of us, by the way, everybody. It happens to the pros, you know, embarrassing things. Well, I can tell you an embarrassing thing happens to all drummers, and if they said it didn't, they would be lying is to start a song with the snare off. Yeah, I've heard that. I've heard that. Oh, yeah. There was a thing I was going to say before I remember now. Um, So like a week or two ago, we were talking about the uh, things drummers would never say, and one of them was, um, yeah, my drum key is right here. And we we were talking about that. Like that's a thing a drummer would never say because – the joke is that drummers are always like, oh, where's my drum key? Like, like, so 
we 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 talked about that. It was a Tuesday. We do the podcast on Tuesdays. We talked about that. Two nights later on Thursday, I went in to play my gig and we're setting up and my drummer Brent looks at me. He goes, "Dude, do you have a drum key?" I I have two and I I they're both missing. And I just laughed and laughed right? and laughed and laughed and I didn't even tell him why I was laughing. But and I told you the drum key lives in your change pocket of your jeans. Right. But but it's funny to me for many reasons because he has two of them and they were both missing and that he asked me the bass player who has no reason to carry a drum key <laughs> if I had a drum drum key. Like, why would I carry a drum key? I have absolutely no reason for it. I have no use for it. Oh, Other dude, than was, uh, bailing out the drummer. Last week you were saying the who do you do, and if you could, you do. And I said the yogi, yogi kudu. And we started talking about the show, That's Incredible. And then we got distracted yes. and said, why do we talk about that? Yes. And it was because I was telling you that... The, the, the yogi kudu was like a six foot six yogi guy, and he fit himself into like a three foot by three foot by three foot box. Right. So that was it. Just want to touch back on the that's incredible, so we can close the loop on last episode's wisdom hour. Yes. Um, I know a lot of people have been waiting for that, and dude, they've been writing and asking about it. I, so I just want to clear it up. Fact is, people listen to the show, and people, people, every I get the reports every week, and they're not only listening to the new episode, but there's people listening to the older episodes and and catching up and stuff. So, so yes, um, constant wisdom being, uh, yeah, it's, you know, we're yeah, we're, we're, we're worldwide, people. baby. Uh, see, that's not that embarrassing. I'm so I'm reading through some of these. I like the, 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 the really, like, like this one. Rich Laren said, My tight-ass jeans ripped at my crotch with no underwear. Used gaff tape to mend it. <laughs> then it was really a problem. Yeah. <laughs> That's embarrassing. Stop wearing girlfriend's jeans to the gig, dude. Un- unintentional nudity is definitely embarrassing. Every time. Um... I just looked at the time like, wow, okay, that's an hour. Um, so, yeah, if you have an embarrassing story that you'd like to share, send it on over to Steve at CoverBandCentral.com or post it on one of those links on the uh, – or one of those threads on With CBC. Photos. It's, it's in the group. It's on the page too. Coverband Central on Facebook. CoverBandCentral.com. That's where you can go for all things Coverband Central, including sign up signing up for a profile for you your band or both i would say both that's all we got next week it's mardi gras next week tuesday mardi gras tuesday and we will be here live as we always are It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.